This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. How do you respond in the midst of suffering? How do you react when there are trials and tribulations in your life? Because what suffering does, it actually exposes the heart. It shows what's on the inside. So how do we actually respond when we're faced with hardships? Well, we're not actually left to ourselves. We have the scriptures. And one of the books of the Bible that I find so fascinating and helpful are the Psalms. The Psalms just give us words to say when there aren't any words that can come out. There's just real and raw emotion And so today, we're going to look at the Psalms, specifically Psalm 137, so you can turn with me there, Psalm 137. The Psalms are poetic in nature, they would be sung, that is, people would Sing them. In fact, in the New Testament, we're commanded to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So Psalm 137, we're going to look at this psalm in three angles. The people of God suffer, the people of God lament, and the people of God praise The people of God suffer, the people of God lament, the people of God praise. First, we're going to look at the people of God suffer. Let's look at the first three verses of this psalm. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there we hung up our lyres. For they are captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. It's helpful here for us to understand context and know what is going on. The nation of Israel is in exile, they are in captivity. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 8 through 11. The word of God says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, 
and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So Babylon, they were enemies of Israel. They were enemies of God. And they captured the nation of Israel. You have this contrast between Babylon and Zion. Zion, if you remember, was the city of David, city of Jerusalem. This was where God dwelt with his people. And so here the Israelites are remembering Zion. And they sat down and all they could do was weep. This psalm, these verses are are drenched with tears. There is pain. There is sorrow. And perhaps you can relate to that. Perhaps you've come in this morning and there is a huge burden. And you feel as if you can't do anything about it and all you can do is cry. Perhaps you even just cry yourself to sleep if you can even sleep because the pain is just unbearable. And so the Israelites are thinking back to Zion. And of course, what's wrapped up in that is God's promise. God's promise to Abraham that you would inherit this land. I will be your God. I will be with you. And yet they're not there. They're in captivity. And so what do they do? On the willows or the tree, they hang up their lyres. It's a U-stringed instrument like a harp. And so these people would sing. They would praise God through song. And here they are. They're hanging up their instruments. Just imagine just hanging up the guitar, hanging up the piano or the drum set. We can't sing. We can't worship God. We're in Babylon. And notice the mistreatment in verse 3. The captors, the tormentors, the Babylonians were not nice people. They mistreated the Israelites. They were harsh and abusive to the Israelites. Now, on top of that, they're mocking them. They want them to sing a song. They're required of us songs and mirth or or laughter, amusement. Sing us one of the songs of Zion, and they're mocking them. Because they know they're no longer in Zion anymore. And so the Israelites are suffering. And sometimes we forget that we too will suffer. Perhaps we think that when we become a Christian, that means that there's no more suffering in the world. There's no more suffering in my life because God will take care of me. 
And the truth is, God does take care of us, but we are not exempt from suffering. And so sometimes we are surprised when we suffer because sometimes we forget that we live in a world that is fallen. Ever since Adam and Eve took of the fruit, all of humanity has rebelled against God and they have turned away from him. And as a result, there's illnesses, there's suffering, there's death. And so the Christian will suffer. And just as the Israelites suffered and were mocked, there's going to be someone else who was going to suffer. There's going to be one who was perfect and yet was mistreated. There was one who was going to be mocked, although he was perfect. That he would hang up on a cross, and people would mock him, saying, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from that tree. And yet this perfect man... This God-man was hung up on a tree, cursed, scorned, suffered, and died to free us from something even worse, captivity and bondage to sin. It's the death of Christ that frees us from that so that we would not suffer eternally in hell. And so how do the people of God respond when the Babylonians tell them to sing us a song? Well, the people of God lament Let's look at verses 4 through 6. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. So they respond with a question. Because this is where we're at. How can we sing when we are in a foreign land? There's a contrast here. Foreign land versus the promised land. The Israelites were in the promised land. And now they're no longer there. It was in the promised land. It was in Zion that they had the temple where priests can offer up sacrifices on behalf of the people. It was at the temple where they could worship God through these sacrifices. And they're no longer there. They're in a foreign land, far away, in captivity, mistreated. How can we sing? 
But then they say, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Remember, they would play instruments. They would sing to God. They would worship him through song. And so they're saying, Jerusalem, I'm not going to forget you. So much so that if I even attempted to forget you, I'm not even going to be able to play my instrument anymore. Let my right hand forget how to play. Let my tongue, the very thing I use to sing to God, let that stick to the roof of my mouth. You get the imagery there. If I were to even speak with having my tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth, you would not comprehend what I was saying. I would look very foolish. And so here the Israelites are saying, if we were, for, for even, if we were to even forget you, Jerusalem, we would not play any instruments, we would not sing. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, because Jerusalem was their highest joy. Why? Because everything wrapped around in Jerusalem was all about God and his promise. As I mentioned, the temple was where the priests would offer sacrifices. But there's no temple. They're not there anymore. How can the priests offer up sacrifices to God? There's no king. Who's going to rule and reign over these people? How are their sins going to be forgiven? And so they... Lament. It's an expression of, of pain, of sorrow. What do you usually do when you're in pain? When you're being mistreated? Cry out to your father. It's amazing that even when we feel as if God doesn't hear us, he still hears us. And it may feel as if God has rejected you and neglected you, but that's not true. So the Israelites are still thinking about God. At times in suffering, we might forget God. We might neglect God. In fact, we might question God and, and wonder where he is. God, why am I going through this? Do you care about me? Do you love me? Do you even listen to me? Do you even exist? And we can isolate ourselves. And we actually neglect gathering with the body. Because of all the pain and the sorrow in our heart. 
And in our minds, we're thinking, no one else understands what I'm going through. No one else cares of what I have just went through. What is your highest joy? What is it that you hold on to, that you cling to? You know, it's amazing that it was Christ's will to do the will of his father at all cost. The author of Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. That Christ endured much hostility from sinful and evil and wicked men. Why? To secure your salvation. That because of Christ, God the Father delights in you. And in suffering, we have to remember that we are weak, that we can barely hold on, but Christ is holding on to us. That Christ is faithful and committed to his people. No matter what. And some of you have gone through some very difficult things. Maybe things have happened 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Maybe something that is currently happening. And your heart is filled with sorrow and pain. And you're distraught. And you're wondering, when will this ever end? You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. And the only thing that we can remember is that God doesn't change in the midst of suffering. That we still need to hear truth. That God is actually still good. That God is actually still in control. That God is actually still faithful. And that God will actually never forget me. Sometimes we feel as if God has rejected us. But Christ was the one who was rejected for us so that we can be accepted by God. That Christ would endure his entire life. He was a man of sorrows. Acquainted with our griefs. That he knows exactly what we are going through. Because he himself suffered 
for us. Just think about this. That before the world was created, before the world was created, God planned to save us. God planned to save his people. And we were the ones who were rebellious against him. We're the ones who turned away from him, but he so loved us. So loved us. That Christ would still take on flesh. Christ would still live on this earth in perfect obedience to his father, would die a horrible death to atone for our sin. And that God will remember our sins no more. That is an amazing God. And so, brothers and sisters, you can use the Psalms to cry out to God. There are times where we don't know what to say. And even if we think we know what to say, use the scriptures to cry out to God, to use the same words back to God. Psalm 13 says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? This is in the Bible. How long, O Lord, will you turn your face from me? The psalmist show us the heart. God, this is what I feel right now. I feel as if you are far away from me, that you do not care about me, that you do not love me, that you are punishing me. But the Psalms and the scripture remind us over and over again that the steadfast love of God never fails. Never fails. So that in my pain and my sorrow, I can be reminded that God still loves me. And he will never, ever leave me nor forsake me. Sometimes there are some hard sayings in the Bible. And we're about to read some of that in the next few verses. So just giving you a a heads up and we'll walk through this together. Let's look at the last point. The people of God praise verses seven through nine. This might be shocking to the ears and to the eyes. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against 
the rock. And I know you probably want me to get to verse 9, but I'm going to go in order. The Israelites here are reminding or just calling out to God, reminding themselves and telling God, remember what the Edomites said? Who are the Edomites? Well, if you remember, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name was Israel. Esau's name was Edom. So the Edomites are the brothers of the nation of Israel. However, they were not nice brothers. In fact, they were harsh. They didn't care about their brother. And so the Israelites are saying, remember what they said when the Babylonians were taking us captive. What did they say? They said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. The Edomites just wanted Jerusalem to be ruined, destroyed. And think about what that would mean. God made a promise to Israel, and now Israel's gone. What does that say about their God? And so the Israelites are saying, God, remember this. Because remember your promise to your people. That we as a nation would bless other nations. That we would inherit the promised land, that we would have a king who sits on the throne. And now there's a call for justice. Israelites say, O daughter of Babylon, just another name for Babylon, all of its inhabitants, doomed to be destroyed. This psalm, along with several others, are known as imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory psalms. It's probably not a word that we use often in our day-to-day. But imprecatory psalms are psalms where the authors, the nation, are calling God to curse their enemies. Calling God to execute justice. You might say, how is that possible? How can God do that? I thought God was good and loving. Sometimes there is a misunderstanding of the Old and the New Testament. Some might think that in the Old Testament, God was a God of wrath, and in the New Testament, God is a God of love. But there are two at least two, and there's probably more, 
problems with that. One is that there's only one God who exists eternally in three persons, co-equal in nature of the same substance, the same essence. And two, God is wrath and God is loving. He's not 10% wrath and 10% love. As one scholar puts it, all that is in God is God. So what are we to make of this? Well, Jeremiah is going to help us again with this. Jeremiah 25, verses 12 through 14. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. God was going to do what the Babylonians did to the Israelites. In fact, the Babylonians were the ones who dashed their little ones against the rock. And so God was going to do what they did to the Israelites. God was going to raise up another nation, another king, to execute his justice. And this isn't the first time. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see things like break their teeth. But think about the mistreatment of the Israelites. Because this isn't the first time. Think back to Moses and Pharaoh. Pharaoh saw that the nation of Israel was multiplying, getting too large. And so he said, we are going to enslave them because we do not want them to get bigger and overtake us. And so what did he do? He commanded all the little baby boys to be killed. That's why Moses was put in a basket and put on the river to be spared from that. Fast forward, parallel Jesus. When Jesus was born, same thing. All the baby boys, two years and younger, because there was going to be another king. But notice that the Israelites here in this passage aren't the ones who are executing the justice. They aren't seeking revenge. As one pastor puts it, they didn't didn't go up, get their military, and start killing people. In fact, they went on their knees. Because they knew that God was going to fulfill his promise. That God was going to be faithful to them.
And so we can rest knowing that someone else is going to execute justice. Scripture says for us not to seek revenge because vengeance belongs to the Lord. And so don't use this passage here to when someone cuts you off in traffic to start praying this prayer. This is for real mistreatment. You think about all the mistreatment of the world, maybe even in your own life, sexual abuse, trafficking, abortion, all different types of abuse. And we wonder, when are these things going to be righted? All these wrongs and evils in the world. This should really show us that God hates sin. God despises sin. Do we have a hatred for our own sin? The sin that still resides in our hearts. The Christian should be diligent in killing their sin. I should be diligent in killing my sin. Because there's one who died to set me free from my sin. But the nation of of Babylon is actually a picture of all those who oppose God. And we might might be wondering still, like, this is hard for us to hear. Justice? True justice? Well, we just went through the letter of Revelation. And Revelation 19 actually talks about this. Revelation 19, verses 1 and 2 says this. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. That all those who oppose God and his people will face judgment. So if you're not a Christian, one day you will stand before God. In fact, God has appointed one man as judge, that is Jesus Christ to judge both the living and the dead, and you will have to give an account for your life. What will be your basis? What will be your basis? What will you tell God? Your good works aren't good enough. In fact, we will all have to stand before God on Judgment Day. 
Every single one of us in this room. What will be your basis? The one who is the judge actually was already judged. That is, Christ on the cross was judged on our behalf. Christ was judged on behalf for us, not for his sin because he was perfect. But for the sins of his people, Christ on the cross was condemned for us so that we might be set free. Christ on the cross was mocked for us so that we might receive the gracious hand of God. That's the good news. That Jesus Christ Jesus Christ has already bore my sin in his body. So that Christian, when you stand before God on judgment day, there's no shame. There is no shame because Christ... Christ has took it all for you. In fact, Christ was cut off. Christ was doomed. In fact, as I said earlier, this was the plan of God before the world was even created. It was on the cross that Christ was laid bare. So that we might be clothed. And so the Christian, in their suffering and their sorrow and their pain, they can, they can rest. Because they know that God has made a promise to his people. They can cry out to God in their suffering and their pain. Knowing that God actually hears their prayers. And we know that God is faithful in keeping his promises. And when we look forward to the day that Christ returns, we can look forward to it with joy. Knowing that he's coming back to save us. And he will execute his justice. Do you know that when we look forward to the day that Christ returns... When we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, we are looking for our salvation at the end, but we're looking for all wrongs to be righted. There are only two places where sin is paid for. It's either in hell for all eternity or it's on the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ is our only hope, and we will look forward to the day that he will return as judge to execute his justice. Let us pray. Father, we know that your word is true.
It is good. And even though there are things in there that are difficult for us to comprehend and understand, we trust that you are faithful, that you are a good God. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are, who are suffering, who maybe have lost a loved one, or maybe a loved one is dying, perhaps strained relationships with family members or friends, perhaps tragedy, financial hardships. Lord, I pray that you would be their hope. You would be the one that they look to and that Christ would strengthen them. Christ would be their comfort and their peace. And we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful We thank you, Lord, that your son is committed to his bride, the church, and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Redeemer, and older brother. Amen.